while she was speaking, so I think I'll get her to come up and translate for her some more. Uh, now, did you see what I was talking about? You can tell by her energy, by her movements, by her inflections. Uh, you can just tell that she's communicating, right? Um, yeah, she's a great communicator with, uh, with children in, in Brazil. Okay, so here we go. Joshua chapter number 3 is where we are. Um, I don't know anything to do other than, re- other than read this entire story because this story is, is really pivotal. Uh, other than the Exodus account, as far as the history of Israel goes, Joshua chapter 3 is probably on the same plane. And here's why. Because God was doing something in the life of Israel in Joshua chapter 3 that is a once in a generation occurrence. I mean, stop and think about it. There is nobody left alive in the nation of Israel in Joshua chapter 3 who crossed through the Red Sea except Joshua and Caleb, right? Uh, This is an all new generation. Here's what went on. Their forefathers or their fathers literally had enough faith to get out of Egypt, but they didn't have enough faith to get into the promised land. And after refusing to obey God and to take God's goodness, what He had planned for them, He says, all right, that's it. No more opportunities. You're going to die in the wilderness, but your children will go in. Now, stop and think about that because, you know, today in our society, we seem to think we can put God on the back burner and I can do this God thing anytime I want to. Well, friend, that's just not biblical. You can't. You see, we respond to God when God invites us to respond. It's not that we can just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off because it may be that He says, all right, that's it. Your chance of a lifetime. Let me rephrase that. I don't even like to use the word chance as it relates to theology or God. There's no such thing. Your opportunity is gone. And now I'm going to give that opportunity to your children. So please don't think you can just sit under the preaching of God's Word, hearing the calling of God's Spirit, giving an open opportunity for you to do something and think, oh, I can do that anytime I want. Maybe not. Your time may expire and that opportunity be passed on to another generation. Now, remember I said that their, their fathers had enough faith to get out of Egypt, but not enough faith to get into the promised land? I mean, do we see that happen today? You know, and theologically, I'm kind of hung. Is it really real when folk have just enough faith to miss hell but not move into the abundant life that Christ has for them? Depends on what side of the bed I wake up on in the morning. Sometimes I say yes, sometimes I say no theologically, but this is what I do know. There's a lot of the redeemed people of God who are living in the wilderness. Living outside of God's best living outside of abundant life, living just beyond the parameters of God's preferred future for us, really what He wants. We have settled for something far less way too often. So let's set this chapter in that context. Verse 1 of chapter 3, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When 
You see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it. Then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it. Here's your purpose clause that you may know the way by which you shall go because or for you have not passed this way before. Let me just stop and give some running commentary right there if you don't mind. Notice, this is one of the few places where the Bible says back up. Don't come too close to God. Now there are times when the Bible says that because of His awesome holiness and glory that will consume us. This is not one of those places. This is a very practical place where, we are, where they were commanded to stay back 2,000 cubits. Hey, that's 3,000 feet. That's over a half mile. And they were commanded to stay back. And the reason they were commanded to stay back was so that they could see the Ark of the Covenant ahead of them and know the way to go. Sometimes we just get too close to something and can't have a good perspective. You ever noticed that? You ever noticed it? I mean, if I, if I did this to Colin, if, 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 if I got right up on Colin like this. <laughs> I love it when he sits on the front. He knows he's taking a great a risk when he sits on the front. If I get too close to anything, I, I don't have a good perspective on it. And can I be honest, just sometimes we get so close that we really can't see well. I need to back up a little bit. And remember, this was kind of an amphitheater, two mountains. So a half mile is nothing. They can see the ark of the Lord. Here's why they needed to see where God was. Because you always want to go where God is. Amen. You want to follow Him. You want to be off in left field. So here's what he said. Stay back 2,000 cubits so that you may know the way. When God is leading you somewhere, watch this. He doesn't just say, now this is where I want you to go. Now you go and find it. He always shows you how to get there. That's what He does. Here's our, here's our only response. Well, no, I don't like that way. I'm going back. I'd rather stay over here in the wilderness where life is not fun and where I'm miserable. Or we can say, okay, I, I'm going to go. So notice what else that verse says in verse number 4. Hugely important that you may know the way by which you shall go because you've not been this way before. Now underline that phrase, you've not been this way before. Here's the motto of most Baptist churches. But we ain't never done it like that before. <laughs> Isn't that right? I mean, that ought, to, that ought to be our motto. You know, we try to come up with these nice mission statements, but that's really our, our, our motto. We've never done it like this before. And can I say that's where you want to live. You want to wake up every day in a new place that you've never been before. You know why? Because then and only then will you trust God's leadership. You see, that's why they were commanded to stay back. So you can see where God is. You've never been here. This is unfamiliar territory. These are uncharted waters. And if you don't know where you are, have you ever noticed how much more careful you are when you're outside of your comfort zone? And that's where they were. They were outside the familiar. And would to God that He would keep Grace Church in a place that we've never been before. Because as soon as we get comfortable and we can start doing things by memory and we know the way, guess what we'll do? We'll do it without Him. Man, I, I think the plague of so many churches today is they've got a routine down and they can go through the motions of that routine whether God is there or not. And We don't ever want to find ourselves there. Let me pick back up. i got a sermon to preach here. 
Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Yahweh, the Lord, will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I'll be with you. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of Yahweh your Elohim, of the Lord your God. Get this in this story. In one place, stay back, but in another place, come here. And you got to know the difference, huh? we got to know the difference by the Spirit when we're to stay back for a good perspective, but when we're to come close so we can hear. So check this out. Notice what he says as we walk on through this. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. And it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand up in one heap. Water piling up. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the ark of the covenant before them, and when... Those who carried the ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above stood up and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those which are flowing downward toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off so the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. A once in a lifetime opportunity. Here it was. They'd been waiting 40 years parked over there in the wilderness watching mom and dad die. And now it's time to go across. Hey man, this is a once in a lifetime type thing. This is our opportunity in the sun. And I'm telling you, when those types of, 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 of opportunities present themselves, the very first step is always the most difficult step in the entire journey. I mean, isn't that right? So let me speak to you today for a little while on this subject. Watch that first step. It's a doozy. Has anybody ever told you that? Have you ever been in a scenario where... Man, the first step, if you, get, if you can survive the first step, you got this thing made. You ever been there? I, I can remember back in my firefighter days, back BP before preaching. <laughs> I was a firefighter in Gulfport, Mississippi, and man, we used to have to do all kind of crazy stuff for training. And uh, one of the things that we had to be proficient, proficient in was repelling down the face of a very high building. So first day of repelling training... Uh, we were at the top of a five-story building downtown Gulfport, Mississippi. We had, had all the classroom training. Now it's time to put it in practice, huh? So the instructor said, Okay, Richie, get up here and get buckled in and step off the side of this building. So I get up there 
and I step across, there's a handrail, and I'm holding on that handrail. I've got my carabiners, my, I'm on belay, I got everything just like they told me to go, and here I am holding on to that inch and a half steel guardrail, and he says, okay, start your descent. And my mind says, hand, let go of the rail. <laughs> my hand talks back to my mind and says, you idiot, you know where we are? <laughs> I want to tell you, I had to sit there for a good while to convince myself that my equipment was good enough that I wasn't going to die when I let go. And I let go and leaned back into my equipment. And man, it was such a gorgeous view up there. And I began to rappel down the face of that wall. And I enjoyed it. I really did. But I want to tell you something. That first step was a doozy. You hear me? I mean, I had to take some convincing within my own self to take that first step. And watch me. Spiritually, it's the same way. When God asks you to do something, that first step is going to be huge. Notice what the Bible says about these first steps. I think this passage affirms three things about the first step that is a doozy. Number one, the first step usually seems impossible. I mean, it just seems impossible. I mean, have you noticed why it seemed impossible here? It seemed impossible in verse number 15, the Bible tells us, because the river was impassable. Impassable. Notice what verse 15 says. He gives us a parenthesis here just letting us know how wide this river was. For the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. Uh, those of you who know the geography of this place, that river could have been anywhere from a half a mile to three miles wide and probably more like three miles wide with sticks and white foam floating down it. And God says, we're going to cross that river. You're going to cross it. Now put yourself in their shoes for a minute. God, that's impossible. And can I say to you that every time God has something for you to do, that first step is going to look just like that river. It's going to look impossible. You're going to think there's no way this can happen. And God puts you there. He orchestrates these events on purpose. God will never call you to do something that's easy that you can do without Him. The whole purpose is so you can walk with Him across these impossible rivers, right? So here He was. Here they were looking at this river and it seemed impossible. Man, I, you got, I can get testimonies right in this place about impossible things. I started talking to Malthus about coming to the U.S. back in April, March, April. So he begins to talk with the United States consulate in Brazil that has to okay their citizens traveling here and give a visa. He enters in contact with them and the, and the Brazilian consulate says, uh, Yes, sir, Mr. Malthus, we'll put you on our, on our appointment calendar. Our next available appointment is July 27th of, night of 2024. A 472-day waiting list. So what does Malthus do? Say, well, what meant for me to go? I'll just give up. No, Malthus believed that God wanted him to come, so he kept checking the consulate webpage. Lo and behold, the next week they had a 15-minute appointment slot open up. One in 472 days. Just one. And Malthus and Chris got it. How does that happen? Because God does the impossible things. Man, I can tell you every time the Lord calls you to do something, listen, whether it's the first step of faith in professing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, surrendering your life to Him, 
whether it's following Him in believer's baptism like Ellie did, whether it's a call to ministry, whether it's a call to missions, Jim and Mandy, no matter what it is, that first step, hear me, is a doozy. Uh, Jim, how was it when you realized that you had to quit jobs and, and, and leave all security and you were stepping out on faith, taking that first step of what God called you to do? There was a guy asked me that day, he said, Pastor Richie, I believe that God's calling me to missions. What do I do? I said, do you have a job? He said, yeah. I said, first thing you got to do is get rid of that job. <laughs> you can't be a missionary and have a job here in the U.S. That's a doozy. That's a heck of a step. This river was impassable. So let me just ask you a question. I don't want to over-spiritualize this text today, but can I ask you, what is the barrier that's standing in between you and the abundant life that God is calling you to in Jesus Christ? What is it? What is that? What is your river today? That you look at it, you came close enough to God to hear Him calling you, and you hear Him saying, come on across the river, and you're saying, but God, it's impossible, I can't do it. First step usually seems impossible, number one, because the river was impassable at this time. Number two, it seemed impossible because the reception would be impolite. The reception. Hey, do you know, anytime you step out and do something by faith, don't expect the accolades and applaud of men. They're just not going to do it. Hey, there might, some of your family might, might even say, you idiot. What the heck are you thinking? Have you lost your mind? I'll never forget, one of my mentors, Dr. Kinchin up the college, told me when we were considering leaving the pastorate and going to Brazil as missionaries, he told me, he said, Son, in the course of following Jesus Christ, if some of the people who are closest to you don't look at you and say, Have you lost your mind? Then you're probably not following close enough. Because it just looks crazy sometimes. The world is not going to applaud us. Sometimes our friends, sometimes, lo and behold, our church won't even applaud us. But look, the reception that they were going to get when they crossed the river, there wasn't a welcome party waiting, say, waiting for them in Canaan. Did you know that? Look at all of these people. It was, uh, notice all of these ites here in, um, in verse number 10. Uh, uh, there was the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, all kind of ites over there that wanted to kill them. So when they get across that river, if they do get across this impossible barrier they are not going to have a very polite reception on the other side. That first step is tough. Are you hearing me? We can stop and, and list a long list of reasons why I should not obey God today and step out on faith. Here's what you got to do. It's like buying a boat. You, you make a list of everything that boat's going to cost you. You figure up gas, insurance, maintenance, uh, the, the, your payments... Uh, bait, you figure up all your cost and then you know what you do with that list? You ball it up like Chris did that paper this morning, you throw it in the garbage and you buy it anyway. <laughs> that's how it goes with boats. That's the only way you can justify them, right? And that's what you do with your list that you make of why I can't cross this river. You make that list and you ball it up and throw it away say I'm doing it anyway today. So it seems impossible, number one, because the river was impassable because the reception would be impolite. And finally, number three, because the return would be improbable. Once you step across this river, ladies and gentlemen, ain't no going back. See what I'm saying? God will open up the door for you to get in, 
But there is no doorknob on the inside of that door. Once you're in, you don't turn around and say, Oh, change your mind, I'm going out. You're there. And that's the way it was with this river. God was going to open up the river for them to cross it, but once they got over there, if they wanted back, guess what? They were on their own. And most likely they couldn't do it. So you understand this first step seems impossible. God has orchestrated your life today. He's put you where you are and He's put everything in place and He's asking you to do something and it looks impossible and I say, yep, you're right where God wants you to be. Because if you can do it without Him, He's not interested in you doing it. He wants this first step to be a testimony in your life forever. If you can make the first step, Son, you can make the tenth and the ten thousandth. You just keep walking because the first step was the doozy. Number next, what else does this passage teach us about that first step? Number one, first step usually seems impossible. Number two, the first step is absolutely imperative. I mean, just stop and think about it. You can't go in. Who is it that said a journey of a thousand miles begins with what? The first step. The first step. You can't go anywhere until you take the first step. And there's so many people today, man, they're wanting to be way off out here in the promised land, but they've never taken the first step to cross the river. And it's like playing baseball. You don't skip first base and just get to third without being thrown out. Take these steps in succession as they come naturally. And that first step is the one that's critical, it's imperative. Without that first step, here's why it's imperative. Because without that first step, you stay in the wilderness. You stay in the wilderness. You stay right where your mom and daddy died. You live a miserable life outside of God's will and outside of God's best, just like they did. That first step is what moves you from the wilderness, no man's land where God never intended them to be into the land flowing with milk and honey and abundant life in Christ. First step. It's imperative. You can't get around it. You've got to make the first step. Notice what else the Bible says about this first step. Not only without it do we stay in the wilderness, but here's why it's so imperative. Because God starts working when we start walking. You may want to turn that around and say it negatively. You see, I've been in the school of Dr. John Wilson trying to be positive and optimistic and state things that way. But normally I would say it like this. God doesn't work until you start to walk. Either way, it's, it's alright, you know, but it's just a little more positive when you say God starts working when you start walking. And you may want to write this word in, when you start walking by faith. You'll never see God do anything in your life. Hey, here's what most folk do. Well, God, I'll do it if you do this first. Uh-uh. That doesn't fly. He's already invited you. Now the ball's in your court. You take a step of faith and you watch what God does. But God is not going to knock down barriers until you get to Him. It's just amazing how you keep walking towards it. You keep walking towards it. I remember when Bo and April went with us to Brazil last October. There was a ton of barriers. Bo thought he was going to have to tell me, I can't go. But he, he was too scared to tell me, so he didn't know what else to do but keep walking. <laughs> and every time he got to one, it was, it was eliminated. 
Hey, for the past three years, nobody has been able to get into the country of Brazil without a, a, without a COVID test and without a vaccination. You've got to have the vaccination. Bo's doctor told him he couldn't take the vax. I done told the team, if you don't have the vax, you can't go. It's plain and simple. Am I right, Maltus? Look at here. It wasn't, what, two weeks before we were to go. Brazil dropped the requirement for the vaccination. <laughs> now you may call that coincidence. I call that God working and responding because Bo got to walking. Huh? I mean, don't worry about the what ifs. Just let's worry about the right now. What's God called me to do today? He's called me to walk by faith. That's what I'm going to do. Notice how this comes through in Scripture. Don't you see these time stamps all throughout this passage? Verse number 8, underline this word. When you come to the edge of the water. See that word when? Underline it. Look in verse 14. So when the people set out from their tent. See that word when? Underline it. Look in verse number 15. And when, underline that word when. When those who carried the ark came into the Jordan... And the feet of the priest carrying the ark were dipped into the edge of the water. Skip the parentheses, verse number 16. The waters which are flowing down from above stood and rose up. Now what if they would have been Southern Baptists that day? And what if they would have said, Well, Lord, we got a very good view on the side of this mountain. We're a half mile back from the ark of the covenant. But we're just going to sit right here. What if the priest said, we're just going to sit back here a little bit until you make that water stop and then we'll go. Man, that's what most people are doing today. You know, that, that, that describes the spiritual mentality of most people right there. God, you do that and I'll do this. Hey, wait a minute. We don't give him orders. He gives us orders. He said, start walking. I don't care how impossible it looks. He said, start walking. And the priest started walking. Can you imagine what they were thinking? Because... The Lord just told this to Joshua. They were thinking, I'm sure hoping that boy is right. I sure hope he heard God right. Because they're walking right off into oblivion, into an impossible situation. And them boys get dip their feet in that water, and water starts backing up. What do you think happened to them? I'm telling you, the same thing that happened to Bo Durham. They had a, a moment of personal revival right there. And how many times do we cheat ourselves out of seeing God do the supernatural, the miraculous? Because we want to sit on the side of the mountain and be a spectator rather than a participator and taking that first initial step of faith. Well, that first step is a doozy, number one, because it usually seems impossible. Number two, the first step is absolutely imperative. And then finally, I think the Scripture teaches us that the first step is ultimately important. Here's why it's important. It's important, number one, because without it, we will not... We won't see successive victories. We'll see successive victories. Hey, until you take that first step, you will never see God do something down the road for you. And everybody has these, these things that they want to see God do. But without taking the first step of faith of what God's asking you today, you'll never see God take care of that that's off down the road. Now look, here's the successive victories. Look with me again in, in verse number 10. Joshua said, by this you shall know. By what? By that first step of faith that they had to take. 
That first step of faith that seemed impossible, that first step of faith that was absolutely imperative, by this step of faith, when you take this step of faith and when you see what God does, how God starts to work, when you start to walk, that is going to serve as your confidence as your basis of proceeding and you will know with certainty that I'm going to take care of every other problem that comes in front of you. I'll handle it. I'll handle it. Look, he said, I'm going to eliminate them. They're going to be there, but we're going to work through them. And we're going to get it. So look what he says in verse number 10. Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you. And look, here's the future tense. And that he will assuredly, he will assuredly, So until you take that first step of faith, you're not going to see God do a whole lot more. Because it's that first step of faith that positions you for the assurance of knowing that if He did that, there's nothing that He can't do in the future. First step is ultimately important. Without it, we won't see successive victories. So what's that mean? If you don't see any victories, what are you living in? Somebody say it again. Defeat. Living in defeat. Staying in the wilderness. Close enough to be able to look and see the promised land over there, but not having enough faith to take the first step to it and watch God knock down successive barriers. That first step of faith is a doozy. It usually seems impossible. The first step is absolutely imperative. The first step is ultimately important. Without it, we won't see successive victories. And without it, we won't see face value. And man, so many folk today, they look at folk who walk by faith and they just do not see the the value in it at all. They don't see the reason why we want to get the gospel to those who are currently living without it. They don't understand why we give of our time. They don't understand why it's so important for us to be at church and worship with the people of God. They don't understand why we give of our material resources to spread the kingdom good news around this planet. They don't understand it. You know why? Because they've never taken the first step of faith. And they're living on the other side of the Jordan. Don't see face value. Now this is ironic, but let me show it to you. Here was the value of their faith. You know what the ultimate value of their faith was? Stop and think about this with me. Remember, we done talked about this. Joshua told them, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, you stayed back a half a mile. So they were a half mile back from the presence of God. But guess what happened when those priests took the Ark of the Covenant and the water stopped? The Bible says the priests stood still. So here's why faith is so valuable, that first step. Here's here's what I want you to write down. They were closest to God in the riverbed. Do you see that? In the most dangerous place, in the place where they didn't want to go, in the thing that you and I don't want to face, the thing that we don't want to do, the thing that we're afraid of, that's the place, ironically, where they were most where they were the closest to God. Why? Because out on the bank, they had to stay a half mile back. But all of a sudden now, the priests are standing in the middle of the river and all of Israel gets to do what? Pass right by. 
And in that riverbed, guess where they were? They were as close to God as some of them had ever been in their life. It's amazing. In those desperate situations, that's where you find the presence of God to be the strongest. I've got a friend who once said, the life you've always wanted lies hidden in the mission you've always dreaded. And boy, he's so right. Because there's something within us that don't want to cross that river. There's something within us that don't want to take that first step of faith. There's something within us like me hanging off the side of that building that says, have you lost your mind? This is never going to work. And when against all human wisdom we do it anyway, guess what we find? We find that we're living in the presence of God, walking by faith. Because without, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So here's the value of faith. When you take that first step of faith, hey, you're not just stepping towards a river. You're stepping toward God Himself. And isn't that where we want to be, Maltus? In the presence of God. Isn't that where we want to be, Brandon, who taught on that subject in Sunday school? In the presence of God. David Platt once said that the true believer will go to hell if Christ is there. Huh? It's not just about going to heaven. It's about being in His presence. And you find you'll never be closer to Him than when you're in the riverbed after you've taken that first step of faith. Here's faith's value. They were closest to God in the riverbed, ironically. Here's another value of faith. Write it down. It's found in verse number 6. God never sends you where He is not. Have you ever noticed that? God, God doesn't ask you to go somewhere and He's not there wanting you to go by yourself. God will only send you where He already is. Verse number 6 in this entire story says that God, the presence of God as symbolized by the ark, was with them in the center of the river. And that's where God was telling them to go. So the ark of the covenant of the Lord is crossing over before you. Hey Jim and Mandy, aren't you so grateful to God that He didn't send you to Peru and He said, now, when you get there you're going to be on your own. Huh? You know the thing about the Great Commission is this. The Great Commission is one of the few places in the Bible where the felt presence of God is offered to us. Go ye therefore into all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Guess what he says the very last thing? And I am with you always. With you always. God will not send you where He is not. So just knowing that God's already there ought to make us want to run to it, hadn't it? Faith's value. They were closest to God in the riverbed. God never sins where He is not. Now, verse number 17, check this out. Underline these words. And the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of Yahweh stood firm. Under, underline those two words. Stood firm. I told you when we started the book of Joshua that the New Testament parallel book to Joshua is Ephesians. Dr. John Wilson preached from Ephesians 6 two weeks ago and how many times in his passage were these two words repeated? Stand firm. Stand firm. 
So here's face value. We must stand firm for others' benefit. For the benefit of others. Think about this. Those priests were in the Jordan River. Waters were piling up, probably getting higher and higher and higher. Can you imagine the view? Standing there and watch water stack up on its end, get higher and higher and higher. If you start looking at the water piling up, the more you look at the water, the bigger it looks. And the more you look at the water, the smaller God looks. Huh? And I bet them priests were standing there thinking, you know, at any moment, boys, we ought to bolt. I mean, I can just imagine them standing there like pallbearers holding a casket, right? The Ark of the Covenant. And they're thinking, we ain't got much longer. We're going to have to go. Hey, if y'all don't hurry up, we're going. Sound like me getting ready to leave for church on Sunday morning with Heather. <laughs> hey, get in the truck or you're going to be walking. <laughs> yeah, you're right. She's in the nursery. Y'all know that. <laughs> and if I want her to know I said that, I'll tell her myself, all right? <laughs> but look at here. You see, if those priests would have bolted and ran, because what was holding back the water, really? It was the presence of God, right? What would have happened if those Levitical priests <laughs> would have pulled off? What would have happened to the rest of the folk who were still in the river or the ones who were waiting to cross in the river? What would have happened to them? They would have been inundated. The water would have came back and overtook them. The Bible says those priests stood firm until everybody had finished crossing. Grace Church, listen to me. Here's what we need. We don't need part-time believers at Grace Church. You ain't helping nobody. We don't. We need folk who will stand firm where God's called you for the benefit of others. Because if we don't stand firm, man, we might lose this entire next generation that's depending on us to stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, you want to talk about children's ministry? There's children's ministry. Mom and Dad, you stand firm. You hold to the stuff because the benefit of others are dependent on it. Hey, listen to me. That first step, it is a doozy. It seems impossible. It's imperative. And it's ultimately important. Now, let me ask you to identify today, what is the step that is looming so large in front of you right now and you've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off? Hey, don't put it off any longer. God's liable site, that's it. No more opportunity until the next generation. What is that step you need to make today? Is it surrendering your life to Jesus Christ? Is it publicly professing Him as the Bible tells us to do as, as our Lord and Savior? Is it becoming a part of a Bible-believing church? Is it a call to a specific ministry or is it a call to be a missionary? Is it a call to use the gifts that God has given you right here in Bonifay and, and, and Grace Church? What is that first step that you've got to take? Because if you don't, ain't nothing else going to happen beyond that until you take that first step. What is it? And then secondly, what is your Jordan River? Is it fear? 
Is it uncertainty? Is it finances? What is your fear? And hey, you start walking by faith. You take the first step of faith and you watch God take care of those enemies. You watch God resolve your fears. You watch God take care of whatever issue was standing between you and the promised land that He's calling you to. Hey, you know what happened to me when I was on the side of that building holding on to that guardrail for dear life five stories above the sidewalks in Gulfport, Mississippi? Man, when I let go, I thought, wow, this is fun. The instructor kept saying, go on down. And I was like, no, I want to look around up here for a little while. This is pretty cool. Soon as I got down, you know what I did? I beat it back up five flights of stairs. And I got back on it and I did it again. Hey, the second time, I said, hand let go. Boop. It was no problem at all. The more you walk by faith, the easier those steps become. So don't let that first step shout you down. Pry your hand off of that guardrail and you let God do what He wants to do in your life. Would you stand with me please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, would you help us at Grace Church Bonifay to so believe your word that there's no river that looks too large, there's no enemy that's too big, there's no opposition that can stand against us because you've told us in your word, if God is for you, who can be against you? So God, would you help us today to have the faith to conquer that first step, that first step that looms large in front of us. And we've made a grocery list of reasons why we can't. God, would you help us today just ball that list up, throw it away, and take that first step of faith for the honor and glory of Jesus and for the good of His people. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Our folk are going to leave.